This is Lincoln Stoller of Mind Strength Balance in a conversation between myself and Cheryl Garrett, a coach for professional creatives who is based in the UK. We talk about the issues of being a successful professional in creative fields, as well as the role of creativity in personal health and the wider culture. Cheryl began as a journalist, writer, and editor, and now coaches professionals in fields that include music, film, theater, art, cooking, writing, and design. Her focus is on productivity and professional enhancement. She does not heal the sick, but helps solve questions, foster growth, and clarify opportunities. You know, a lot of what stops people from doing the things they say they want to do creatively is this, but what if it doesn't turn out as good as I imagine? You know, what if people don't like it? What if it's not as good as that beautiful, perfect thing I have in my head? Um, so those are the kind of blocks I talk to. I let people go where they want to go, really. Um, and, you know, all creativity has has something to do with fear. You know, if we're blocked in some way. It is terrifying standing on a stage on your own and telling jokes or playing the music you wrote or writing stuff and putting it out in the world. You know, to say to people, I made this, what do you think, is to invite rejection. And rejection is painful. What I encounter is uh, being yourself is being creative. To an extent, you have to create how you're going to present yourself. You have to create. Well, maybe some people don't think they do. Maybe some people think they can be as they're told. But that usually doesn't work out too well. It's not personal enough. And it wasn't for their best interests that they were told to be, behave, act, or work at a certain task. So I encourage people to be creative, basically. And I often am intentionally disruptive when they get in this loop of feeling obliged to do something they don't feel they want to do. And I kind of think that distinguishes a creative person from a person who's just skidding along. A creative person has some vision, even if they don't have it in their hands, vision of themselves, vision of their work. And uh, I often try to get people to see that, that it's necessary to have a vision. You can't just be what you're told to be or what you have been raised to be. But then, you know, people come to me with problems. If they didn't have a problem being what they were, they wouldn't come to me. So there are obviously people who are trying to create something, I think. I'm still trying to get to the notion of not just facilitating a creative person's work, but making people become more creative. Do you feel that you ever, uh, you know, what would we call that? Unlocking the muse or something? Yeah, I do a lot of work around that. I mean, what you saw, I'm organizing my blog posts at the moment because there's hundreds of them. So I'm teasing out themes. And so a lot of the stuff I printed in January was about goal setting and organization and structure. So yeah. that's what you saw all of those. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I spend a lot of time. What you were saying about, you know, being yourself, one of um, 
some of the people I work with are newly signed to record labels. And what tends to happen is, you know, it's a bit like, you know, when you're pregnant, you're so focused on the birth that it comes as quite a shock or it came a shock to me that someone gave me a baby to take home and look after. You know, and I think they're so focused on getting signed by a major label that afterwards there's this terrible shock of like, well, what do I do now? And they immediately, because they're terrified of losing the record deal they've worked so hard to get, start becoming this kind of vanilla, people-pleasing version of themselves. Um, and, you know, writing what they think the record company wants and what they think the, the public wants. And, you know, one of my jobs as a coach is to go in there and go, yeah, but what do you want to make? Because in the end, you were signed for who you are and now you're becoming someone else so it's giving and and a lot of people are signed quite young now so giving them permission to say no to their co-writers to kind of insist no I want it this way and to trust their own instincts um so I spend a lot of time doing that well I want to know if you have a person with well I want to keep away from the psychology I was going to call it trouble but what do you want to call it resistance struggle well it could be internal but that's another funny thing people externalizes their internal issues so that there'll be a person in their life who represents an aspect of themselves you know like typically your mother or mm -hmm. your parents you know um, or your manager or your record labels <laughs> well you know these people pop up and you focus on them because they're they're sort of archetypal to you you know the, the the critic or you know you make it into a dominant thing so and it can be you know quite a monster or quite a angel well more more likely in my business a monster of some kind um like you know if you've got angels why come to somebody for help you've got them and in fact i do try to coax people or coax out of people their angels which is, uh, you know, sort of like a creative act. So when you get somebody, well, it's a typical thing is like a block, a creative block, a writer's block. So you talked about it as a indecision about how to present yourself or who to write for. But what about when you, you know, everyone's supporting you as a creative person and there's uh, either there's no flow or you're not happy with the flow or you're not happy with your own product there's a certain amount of self-criticism that is healthy. And then there's a certain amount that's just, um, well, you know, it becomes schizophrenic when you go crazy. But before that, I, I think there's a lot of sort of spectrum issues here. Before that, you have to play with criticism, your own and others. So how do you, especially young people, how do you uh, help people pass that? Um, what I've learned from coaching people who are working at a really high level is that doesn't really go away. You know, if Tom Hanks is saying that he sometimes feels like a fraud, if Maya Angelou is saying that she sometimes feels that way, you know, we've all got those voices in our head. But I also think we've all got an inner mentor in our head. We've all got, you know, it's much harder to tune into because the inner critics tend to be really loud and mm -hmm. cruel and nasty. But we all have a still quiet voice inside and you know that tends to be a lot more specific 
you know, I my inner critic will say things like, don't do that, everyone will laugh at you. You've always been terrible at this, you'll never be any good at that. My inner mentor will just say, look, leave it tonight, go to bed, in the morning, have another go at that third paragraph, you know it's not right. It's much quieter, much more specific. And learning to tune into that underneath all the noise and all the kind of pressures of creating and trying to make something that will be commercially viable so you can make a living out of this thing uh, if, if you're a creative professional. Um, tuning into that sort of still, small voice, whether you call it your inner mentor, whether you call it your instincts, um, and making the art or the music or, or the, the words that you really want to make is, I think, a lifelong challenge. Um, but you can get better at it. So, so that's sort of interesting that the root, there is a question of what is beginning and what is just continuing to struggle. Uh, I often tell people, you know, our minds are the way we think about things if we're kind of ruminating people. The ruminating person tends to go around and around. So what do you tell people to do? Uh, distinguish the two yep. or feed the one and starve the other? Feed the one and starve the other, but learn to, to to hear them. You know, with the inner critic, I get them to write down everything it says because it tends to lose its power when you write it down. You know, a lot of the inner critic's dialogue are things we've internalized since we were kids. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I wrote All Mine Down, for instance, I realized that my English teacher from when I was 14 had been living in my head rent-free for like 30 years, you know. Right. The right. thing was, Cheryl, you must get organized. And I'd had that voice in my head for years. And it wasn't until I wrote it down and kind of wrote down the tone and what that person was wearing, I realized who it was, you know. Um, and I think sort of realizing things, if, you know, my big go-to thing with my inner critic is everyone will laugh at you. Um, and, you know, writing that down and going, well, is that true? You know, is Joe Biden's priority this week laughing at me? You know, is Vladimir Putin right now watching everything I do to see whether it can have a giggle? You know, are there people all over the world following what I do? No. You know, and when you sort of think of it that way, there's not even, you know, even my friends have got lives on their own and they're not following it that carefully. So it's quite liberating to just write it down and interrogate it. You know, where's this come from? How long have I believed this? Could something else be true? Those kind of questions. Um, but I think even writing the thing down and sometimes you go, oh, my God, that's something someone said to me at the playground when I was seven. Um, or you realize how childish or kind of silly it is. It loses its power and it's not running in a loop around your head and you actually write it down and look at it and interrogate it a little bit. It's interesting because there's the alternative that saying things makes them real or at least limits what they are. And I do tell people to be careful about speaking your vision because it can chop off all its fur uh, or all its detail. So it's interesting to hear you say that it can also, well, maybe it's the same thing. Your D. Yeah, I think uh, they're exactly doing that. We're, we're defanging it. We're chopping off its fur. That's interesting. Well, then, is the opposite true that uh, not to rush to speak your vision or your creative child in order to allow it to grow, gestate, or mm -hmm. find its own way out? 
I think ideas in their early stages are very fragile and you can ruin them by talking about them and sharing them with other people and, you know, not letting them breathe and grow. I think there's a time to share things and there's a time to let them grow. And in the early days of an idea, I think you just spend time with your idea. You know, you paint it, you draw it, you sing it, whatever your medium is, and you play with it and see what it wants to become. Because it's often not what you think it's going to be. I think there's also a danger you can spend a lot of time, right? You know, talking to your friends about your art and not actually making any. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, I've got that advice very early as a physicist because, in fact, being creative in science is being creative, period. Mm-hmm. Of course. And, uh, you know, the, the advice was don't read too much because it becomes a kind of ruminating routine where you're always looking at what other people say and you're afraid to make your own statement because it's a totally different thing. In science, writing down what other people say is right is a way of certifying yourself. I solved this problem, even if it was someone else's problem. I followed the solution to this problem. But when you write down your own problem, it's always like, you know, you've been thrown into the swamp by the definition of a new problem it's got no track it's got no goal i mean you might have a goal but it doesn't have a clear series of steps and every step you take is like walking into a swamp in fact it's almost like walking deeper into a swamp you know more uncertainties appear i think you're pretty much describing the process of writing a novel there or or making an album as well you know well that's right that's right i think so but i also think i do think that it's the process of coming to a resolution of any birthing to understand your mate, your partner, or your mother, or your father, or your child, or your brother, or your sister, or your grandparents. I mean, it's still like there's what you've been told and what other people present, and there's what you think is really the truth, which is like not that. I mean, it's great when the two coincide, and exactly what you want is exactly what they want. And what you say is what they say. Mark Twain has a good quote. He says, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to stop and think. But <laughs> and there is a truth to that. I had another story about Giacometti, who made those you know, very narrow mm-hmm. sculptures. And the story was that he would work on them until he destroyed them. He would just... You know, make them smaller and thinner and lighter until they fell apart. And his agent would come and take them away from him before he finished so that they could be sold. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I wonder about that, too. You know, I work with people who tend to ruminate. It's sort of self-selective, you know, how it is. People decide that you're the person they can talk to. So I end up talking to intellectual people. And I basically tell them to do what I've done. Stop thinking so much. Be more creative. Be more accepting of uh, new ideas. I think it's it's about balance all the time. And you learn so much in the doing and the making. You know, there there has to be periods where you're exploring and thinking and deciding, you know, what's next for you. And maybe looking at what other people are doing and getting lots of great inputs. But then there has to be a point where you stop that and actually start making something. You start writing for yourself or you start painting or you start playing some music to see what's there. 
Um, and if you never get to that stage, first of all, you never make anything. But secondly, you miss all that learning that you learn from going down wrong directions, from trying something and it not working. And all of that mm -hmm. is part of the creative process as well. Mm, you know, really? if you try and produce one perfect thing, I can guarantee you, you will never produce anything. You know, I think if, if you take care of the quantity, the quality will to an extent look after itself, you know, <laughs> that you funny. can't. You have to do, you know, you have to take hundreds of pictures to make five great photographs. You have to write a lot of songs to have 20 good songs on an album. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to begin. There, there is a question of what is beginning and what is just continuing to struggle. Uh, I often tell people our minds are the way we think about things if we're ruminating people. The ruminating person tends to go around and around. First, they condemn themselves because they've been on this loop before and they haven't solved it. And then I tell them, well, you know, there's actually a truth to repeating yourself. You're trying to look for something different. You're trying to preserve what you've invested in. You're trying to understand where the flaw is. It's not terrible. Some people say it is, but I say it's not. It's not terrible to repeat yourself if you're careful. I mean, like, how do you learn a piece of music? How do you learn to dance? I mean, you do have to be, like you say, take care of the quantity, the quality takes care of itself, which may not always be true, but it's a nice thing to say. Um, I think it's generally true. You know, I know no very few people who make three things and they're perfect. They've usually made 300 things to get to the three great things they make. Well, the question is, there is there a progression? Could you make 300 things that are exactly the same? You know, when I was no, learning music, bored. it's interesting because like when I was learning music and learning scales, the first scales are boring. But if you see that they're really not the same, that you're looking for sound in a in a very narrow structure that doesn't bother you with melody or harmony, you're just looking for the quality of the sound, you can start to see differences and then the scale becomes a creative act. So it also, so if you're thinking about whatever, your problem, your partner, your parents, and you're going around and around. And I have a lot of people, especially with their parents, because their parents have learned to be repetitive. I mean, tends to be thing with old people. They get in a groove and um, they want to stay there usually. So the question is, well, you know, when have you practiced enough? So is thinking about your mother like doing a scale where eventually you perfect it? <laughs> or are you trying to actually... It's funny, I was showing my son the evolution of the song My Favorite Things, which started as a Broadway tune. And then I showed him Bobby McFerrin, who did it as a kind of beatboxing thing. And then I showed him what really influenced me was actually much earlier when John Coltrane made it into a piece mm -hmm. that was actually a kind of a breakthrough. That's interesting to me. And it's been running through my head over the last week, that tune. And then I have a almost as inspiration. I keep a keyboard next to my desk. And uh, when I play it on the keyboard, it doesn't come out. Something else comes out. So I talk to my clients and say, well, anything that comes out, I mean, it's sort of like what you're saying. You want to make mistakes. I'm always encouraging people to make mistakes. Just do yeah. something. I mean, you, you know? can't think what you were doing on the keyboard. You have to play the keyboard for that to happen. 
you know, there's no, you can't plan that. You do it. And, you know, jazz being the case in point, all of those musicians are brilliant musicians. They know all the rules. They've practiced all the scales. And that gives them the freedom to then think outside the box, color outside the lines and do the things that they do with music, which are extraordinary, you know. But there has to be a point when you stop learning your technique and you actually play, you know, and that's true of any art form, I think. Stop thinking about it, stop practicing and actually do it and see what happens. And then you know where you've got to practice and think some more. Do you think that your advice or your, call it mentorship, draws on your own experience? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I've been a writer for 40 years. That's how I've earned my living since I was 16. Um, As a magazine editor, I've kind of worked with all kinds of other creatives, photographers, writers, designers. Um, And, you know, as a journalist, I've interviewed some of the top people in every creative field. You know, and I ask these questions all the time to them as well, you know, and they will say the same thing. I got better when I started doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I keep pushing this boundary, but that's okay. Um, The counseling boundary. So let's just say you were on a deserted island and you couldn't tell your coaching client to go see a therapist because there wasn't any. Or they didn't want to because they trusted you or something like that. Or they started asking you questions which you felt took you into, I don't know, territory you weren't trained in. You know, like I said, personal things like uh, I felt this way and I, you know, I did what you asked, but then I felt this way. What should I do? I mean, how do you respond to that? Because it seems to be a natural progression to me. Yeah, well, we talk about it. Um, But if they ask me, what should I do? My next question would be, well, what do you want to do? And what do you feel you should do? Because I haven't got the answers they have. You know, um, they know their own process. What works for me is not necessarily going to work for them. You know, I've got a lot of experience of working with and having quite deep conversations with highly creative people. But there's no one size fits all solution for any of this. It's a set of experiments, you know. Well, if you go to start and this happens, what of these three options appeals? Try this, try that, try the other. Um, and they'll go for one, like, well, try that for a week, see what happens. Um, if that works for you, let's tweak it until it's perfect for you. If it doesn't, let's go back and try one of the other options. And if we try all three and they don't work, what do your instincts tell you? You know, what shall we try next? I think it's just, it's trial and error a lot of it. It's playing and running experiments. Um, it's learning to trust yourself. But obviously, if they want to have those conversations, what I won't deal with is, you know, people, Things like abuse, addiction, I'm not qualified to do that. And there are people who are very qualified to do that. Um, So I'm not going to go to those places. That's interesting. Yeah, I wonder about that. Each of those is a different thing. Abuse, addiction, creativity, experiment, trial and error, playing. Often I find they kind of get mixed up. So a person will say, I'm... I mean, it is a kind of self-violence when you abuse yourself through addiction or otherwise rumination or depression. So it sounds like what you would do is to say, 
All right, well, that door led into a dark hole. Let's try a different door. Um, and it also sounds like you encourage, well, trial and error and playing and running experiments, which is just what mm -hmm. you said. So if you get people who are stuck, is that how you would approach them? You would say, you know, this doesn't seem to work. What else can we do or what else can we try? Yeah, um, and what were you, you thinking? Think? You know, well, what's your thought process when you decided this wasn't working? You know, a lot of people have just got really bad internal chatter going on and we can change that. You know, you can change, you can choose your thoughts and you can certainly choose which thoughts you respond to. Um, I mean, to be honest, I don't have that many clients who've been stuck for a long, long time because most of my clients are earning a living from their creative work. Um, so, you know, the people who come to me who are stuck in some way I have just, you know, made some bad choices in their career or had a lousy run of luck. And suddenly, you know, they haven't had any paid work for a couple of years. And that's that's something, you know, I can work with. Um, but I don't get many people who've, you know, suddenly stopped doing the thing that earns them money for years on end um, and got blocked because they don't tend to be my people. And people who have never started doing the thing, you know, they wouldn't come to me either, I don't think. So uh, what is how would you profile the people who do come to you? Um they're creative professionals earning a living from their creative work. Um, and, you know, they've got something. They either want to go to the next level. They're really worried about disruption in their industry, that the changes that are happening. They feel a bit stuck over something. They're suddenly terrified writing their ninth album or their 20th novel. Um, you know, those kind of issues. So they're coming to you as a, to learn something. I'm just trying to distinguish. I mean, I... I often portray myself aggressively as a non-solution provider. You know, I want to make it clear I don't have answers. I'm not here to create, give, or lead you through answers. And, of course, that's self-selected. No, I don't have answers, kind of but I've got good questions. And you get those questions by listening to them, by drawing by them out of them? them? Do they tend to be a certain art form, like performance art? No, no. I, I coach musicians, writers, designers, photographers, artists, um, a lot of fashion people, a lot of film people. So I do quite a wide span. You know, I've coached a couple of chefs. Anybody who sees their work as creative, comedians I coach, you know, it, it really depends. How do you... Uh find them this is a slightly different question i mean each of these venues has their own social circle so i guess i might be wrong it seems to me like you stand as an island in a sea of possible um creative endeavors so you're not like in the film industry or in the writer industry because there are people right i mean they're writing workshops and they're mm -hmm. acting workshops um which could be termed as coaching or something, mentoring. I mean, it seems to me that there is a place for the way you market yourself, which is to say, you know, you, I have this image of uh, a lemonade stand on a Caribbean island where, you know, all the boaters come there 
not because it's boating, but because they want the lemonade or whatever it is, you know, the roti, whatever you mm-hmm. serve. And um, is there a think. is there a defined place for creative coaches? Um, not that I've ever found. Um, you know, I have a circle of other coaches who who work in my field. Um, and we'll refer clients to each other. Um, but that's very informal. I mean, most of my clients find me through my website um, or through me doing work. I do workshops for people like the Association Photographers or National Union of Journalists or the Society of Authors. So I'll do workshops in places where my people come. Oh, I see. Um, a lot of the music work I get comes via the record labels. They will book me to work with with an artist they've signed. Um but most of my clients find the website because they're looking for help or they've read an article somewhere and it's led them back to my website. Um, and, and we go from there. Well, I think I'll steal that idea. You know, I do want, I, I'm not happy with the distinction between coaching and counseling because I say people need a whole life that incorporates solving their old problems and fostering their new visions. And so I'm personally not satisfied with just hanging up a sign that says, you know, I fix broken people or something like that. And, uh, you know, I don't get that. I get some broken people, but most of my people are, mm, I would say, medium to high performers on the high performer end. Mm -hmm. In a sense, I'm still trying to craft my message. So, like, your message is quite clear, or at least it sounds quite clear, fostering creative output, if I put it into a six-word sentence. And I'd like to do the same, but I don't want to be limited to the shiny, happy things. I like, in a sort of odd kind of way, the darker, deeper things. And so mixing them together makes it kind of mud, actually. I would like, yeah, I'd like to have my cake and eat it too. But that's fine. You just have to be clear what your cake is. Right. That's all people need to know. You know, what are you selling exactly? Are you for me? You know, and I think my people see my website and go, yes, she's for me. I understand that. Hmm. You know, from the language I use, from the examples I give, from my own history. Um, Beautiful cat doesn't seem to know when it's wanted or not. That's the way <laughs> cats are. So let's see. Uh, now I'm thinking like it. So I air this conversation. So some of the people that are listening to this will understand what you're doing. And it would be nice if they would see themselves. This is, you know, I, I encourage everyone to be creative. If they would see themselves as uh, creative people working to make new things. Hmm. So, I mean, in the sense you say creative people who are already working and, you know, have a professional life come to you for, you know, yeah. kickstarting or getting over a bump or working with a new opportunity. And I'd like to extend that to say that everyone should be creative in dealing with their issues and their life unless they feel perfect to begin with. 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I genuinely believe that all humans are creative. You know, we are supposed to make, not you know, we're supposed to create, not just consume. Um, and but and I think creativity is a form of self-care. I think, you know, most people who can actually make something in their life, whether that's bread, whether it's knitting, whether it's kind of painting or whether it's just making your house a beautiful space for people to walk into. Everyone needs some kind of outlet. Um, but my people are the people who do that for a living. You know, that's I'm quite specific about that. Um, and there's nothing wrong with the other people at all. They're just not my people. You know, and I, I definitely encourage everybody to have some kind of creative outlet or hobby or thing that they do and to see themselves as creative beings, because we all are. And I think once you find a way of expressing that, it's it brings everything else into place. Yeah, well, I would also think that uh, the dictum of work on the quantity and the quality will take care of itself depends on having a faith in your creative ability. Because if you thought you had nothing to contribute, it would you know, be sort of self-fulfilling that quantity wouldn't leave, would not lead to quality. So I, I think, think there is... If somebody knits 30 bad jumpers, they will then knit a great jumper. You know, if somebody plants a window box and it dies four years running, the fifth year it will bloom beautifully because you learn from your mistakes. I guess you could say that my clients tend to worry that they might not. I feel part of my role is to encourage them. Well, I mean, in that regard, we are sort of similar. You're encouraging perseverance and uh, self-faith and joy you know the joy of actually making something even if it is lumpy and imperfect or you know not the way you imagined it it's still fun doing the thing it's still it's much better than worrying about not doing the thing do you ever have trouble with people who are um i don't know how to say it too full of themselves or produce i mean once they're happy with their product or their publisher is happy with their product is your work done how do you mean by too full of themselves sounds like a very well, english phrase too clever by half um yeah, yeah well i didn't quite mean it like that although i know that expression i'm more thinking that there are people who have exhausted their um idea and been left um you know, they haven't evolved it. They've just been popular or been popularizers. Okay. Well, I guess if those people didn't think that was a problem, why would they come to a coach in the first place? And if they think it's a problem, we've got something to work with. If they know they've been repeating a formula and they yeah. want to jump out of that formula, then we've got something really great to work with. Um, and if they don't and they think that what they're producing is perfectly okay, they're not going to come to me. Mm -hmm. Right. I think you're right. That's another one of those self-selection things. I mean, yeah. if it's Danielle Steele, why change, you know? And um, you know what? She makes a lot of old ladies very happy. So, <laughs> you know, what's the problem? Um, if right. I, I have no problem with things that are popular. You know, I have a problem if the person making them feels trapped and unhappy 
by repeating the formula. But if they're enjoying repeating the formula and finding, you know, new variations on that formula and people are enjoying it, I I see no problem with that. Not everyone has to write War and Peace. There's plenty of room for Danielle Steele in the world as well. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I just, I, I always make these images. So I have this image of myself dragging people out of a swamp. And I have this image of you putting them on a catapult and <laughs> launching them over the horizon. <laughs> well, you know, I get a lot of people, you know, a lot of my clients are, you know, they've been writing a certain kind of TV drama and this TV drama is very popular and they are very bored of it and they want to know how can I be seen doing something else mm -hmm. and you know i really enjoy working with people like that because they've already as i say reached a certain level and now they're striving after something different or or better or to make changes in themselves creatively that's really good fun to go on that journey with someone it almost sounds like business coaching to the point where you might say oh i've been typecast or at least my audience expects this and i want to break out of that mold and then the question is, well, you know, you break out of the mold. How do you get seen as different? And also, how do you give yourself permission to do that when you've been earning a very good living, churning out police procedurals or whatever it is? You know, all of those things are, are interesting questions and they're fun discussions and really interesting to dig into. Do you find that after, you know, as you work people, work with people, well, I, I should ask this. Do you tend to work with them regularly for a short period, get past the problem and maybe it check really in with them occasionally? Um, you know, some people have a knotty problem that they want to discuss uh -huh. four sessions and they're done. You know, um, other people, you know, it's an ongoing relationship. I have clients that we've met regularly for the 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. One of them, you know, has had an extraordinary career as a musician, moved into acting, and is now moving into writing. And we've grown up together over that period. Um, and we keep coming back to each other because they're great conversations and they're great questions. And I can just, you know, help him explore what he wants to do next or push that to the next level. So it's both. You know, I have ongoing people that I've had long relationship with. Other people will do 12 sessions with me and then maybe come back when they're doing a new movie or starting a new book for yeah. a couple of sessions just to talk over ideas. So it really depends. I'm really happy to tailor it to the person's needs. Um, and there are one or two where, you know, I've said, I don't think this is good for you anymore. I see. I think, you know, I think you need to shake it up and talk to someone different now. Um would so, you do that because uh, it was becoming repetitive or you were felt you were not moving forward? I mean, it's kind of obvious. In, in one, it was it was just becoming repetitive. And in the other, I felt, you know, we were just going in a, a, a repeated circle and she was getting more and more successful going in this circle. But I felt move, working with somebody else would probably push her to be happier with her success than, than I was managing. So, you know, we had a discussion I said, I'm always here for you if you need me, but I think you should find someone else to talk to, see what happens. You meant another coach, not a, a therapist, I guess. Yeah, it, it was another coach. Um, and she actually worked with someone on body and movement that, that really helped her. 
Well, how would you like to uh, conclude this? Is there a defining uh, goal that you'd like to see people achieve or like to see yourself seen as? I'm just trying to tie up this. I think I just like seeing people make the work they're supposed to make. Um, and only they know what that is. Um, I like seeing people happy. I like seeing people successful. But also, I do think there's something really beautiful and inspiring about a human being fully themselves. And I think creativity helps you become that. Um, and I think there's something very inspiring, um, you know, whether you're Whatever your difference is, if you let that shine, it's going to inspire other people. And I think the world right now is quite a difficult and joyless place in many ways. And the more creativity we can put out there and the more sense of it is okay to be your weird and wonderful self. It feels like the only way I can affect things. I cannot stop the wars that are going on in the world at the moment, but I can help people be more themselves. Well, yeah, it comes back to my feeling. You know, I encourage people to be creative, however they see that. Mm. And I may I may try that on more forcefully and say, you know, your problems are not so much a failure to resolve a puzzle as uh, an invitation to be yourself, experiment, think up new ideas. I mean, this is typically what parents offer. They offer like a wall of who they were and who you were and how life will be. And it's not a wall that you can break down or you can climb over. You just have to like paint on it. Like this was the situation. What do I, it's a, it's a blank canvas rather than a, a story that you're locked into. But people do get locked into their stories. And so I encourage people to. I mean, so this is different. So you're talking about coming with people, working with people who already have a vision. And I'm often talking with people who don't have a vision yet and trying to get them to be more visionary. Uh, but it's a similar thing because I would confront their hesitation. Your clients may be a little less hesitant because they have a track record. But in either case, they've got to find their inspiration and I don't know, maybe this is kind of the final keystone. They have to find some self-love. I do think that's even important for a creative person. You've got to love what you envision. But I also remember... sometimes making what you envisage is how you get to the love, you know? You know, this idea that we've all got to be perfectly aligned before we can start our creative work. It's like, no, start messy. And, you know, you might find the alignment comes in the work. I think a creative who is thwarting their creative instincts is never going to progress. But if you do the work, however badly, you will start, your vision will start to coalesce. It will start to form or you'll find other things. Um, but making stuff is is part of who you're supposed to be. So get on with making it, even if it's awful. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I, I my interest has always been in, in science, and I find it very much the same thing. But, you know, in science, there's really no idea of creative coaching. In science, it's all about uh, being specific 
and uh, solution-oriented, which I think is a mistake. Well, in physics, you've got people like Richard Feynman, you know, who are very good at follow your curiosity, really look at the world and question everything. Yeah, but you don't have many of them. That's the thing. They're not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know him well and his story well. And he was like, you know, he, he was a real sort of Michael Jackson. He he was a, he loved to perform and he really didn't care who he's performing to as long as they loved his performance. There's not a lot of encouragement. So similar to architecture and engineering to be outside the box in a field where everybody else is in the, in the box. That's true of most fields though, isn't it? You know, but not, but not so much art, right? Cause art's like one of the fields well, where you can be a little know, weird. If you get signed to a major publisher and you're writing children's books, they'll want you to be like JK Rowling. You know, they, they, they have these kind of molds, cookie cutter molds. They want you to fit into and it's up to you whether you want to conform with that. But, you know, there are an awful lot of things that feel like rules in art. If you do this, you've got a much better chance of success. Yeah. Do you work against that? I um, want people being themselves. Right. You know, and that's, that's what you bring that no one else can bring. You know, no yeah. one else can be you. Well, and you'll only ever be a kind of really poor copy of someone else. The thing is, most stories have been told, Lincoln. You know, it, it's like most songs have been written, but they haven't been written by you. They haven't been told by you. They haven't been filtered through all of your hopes, fears, experiences in the world. Um, and that's what we have to offer as creatives, ourselves and all the things that make us up, including all the messy dark bits and tangled up and I don't know what I'm doing bits. It's all fine. Yeah. Okay. How should we end this? Got any idea? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Never been good at endings. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. I guess we can end it by just saying, uh, do you have a website, Lincoln? Oh, yeah. And that stuff. Yeah, I have a website. It's mindstrengthbalance.com. And what's yours? Mine is thecreativelife.net. .net. Okay. Um, and we both have a blog, right? We both have a, um, you have a subscription list somewhere. Um, you can, you can sign up for my mailing list on the website. Yeah. Okay. Well, same with mine. Great. Lovely. Thanks very much. Cheryl Garrett. Be in touch. Take care. Okay.